right, we'll go ahead and get going here. And as I'm talking, usually people will fil filter in. And um, happy Mother's Day. I uh, truth is, I grew up about a hundred miles away from here and stopped in to pick up my mom uh, at home. And her neighbor came over and was talking and said, you know, I was going to come to race this weekend, but being that it's Mother's Day, and I said, what? When is that? <laughs> it's this weekend. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. She's here. So um, uh, anyway, it's, it's a great place to be. Lord, thanks a lot for this morning, and just thanks for the sunshine, the, the beautiful weather, the beautiful view on top of this hill. We're blessed to be able to do what we do, and we want to put you first in our lives right now and just give you the first part of our day before we even throw a leg over a bike. So would you be with us and open our ears to hear and give us hearts to understand and give me words to say in Jesus' name, amen. A couple years ago at the GNCC banquet, of course, I've been, I've been the GNCC pit pastor for going on seven years now. This is my seventh year doing ministry on this series, and I have definitely felt the love and support of uh, not just you people, but of, the, uh, of Racer Productions has uh, welcomed me with open arms, given us the vendor row space, and um, brought us in here and said, please, by all means, do ministry at the racetrack. We want you here. A couple years ago at the banquet, Tim Cotter called me up on ATV Day uh, for the ATV banquet, and he presented me with this Bible right here. This leather-bound Bible has the GNCC logo on it and my name. And I thought that was really cool. It's a one-of-a-kind English Standard Version and has become my primary Bible. And he said, yeah, we noticed that you were using kind of a raggedy Bible, and we wanted you to, uh, to know that we love you, we support you, we appreciate you, and here's, here's, a, here's a new Bible for you to use. And so I've been preaching from that for the last year or so, uh, but this was the one that it replaced. Just a little, little paperback Bible. Uh, it was a cheap one, probably $15 at Lifeway, and it was kind of boring, so I had to dress it up with some fly stickers and K&N, Racer X, Team Faith, and, uh, but it's a well-worn Bible. I've been through it a couple times, not bragging, but I've, I've definitely used this Bible. I bought this Bible about 2002. And if you've been coming around to these chapel services, you've probably, over, over time, you've heard me share parts of my story or all of my story, and not to belabor the point, but there is a point. 2002 is, is the time of uh, my life when I was in church and I was playing church. And I was being a good Christian with everything that I knew to do that if I would do for God, then he would do for me. And one of the things on my heart was, God, I'd really like to meet that perfect Christian girl that we could get married and we would never have an argument. We would always get along. Life would just be awesome for the rest of my life. And, uh, of course, all the married people are like, what were you thinking? <laughs> That's not how it works. I don't know. I'm still single. But I was thinking back around that time, 2001, 2002, that that's how it would work out. And that's not how, you know, my thought was if I do for God, he'll do for me and nothing happened. God wasn't doing for me. I wasn't meeting any good Christian girls, not, not getting the desires of my heart met. And I met this girl. She didn't go to church, but she believed that there was a God. I mean, that was, that's pretty good. I mean, and she was interested in me. And so I, you know, went to dinner with her, and we watched a movie together, and we snuggled on the couch, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, spooning leads to forking, and there's a reason I know this. While I was in church, doing all the good church things on Sunday morning, Saturday night, I was out doing my own thing with this girl, and I felt very, very conflicted. I felt a lot of guilt and a lot of shame, but I just couldn't seem to help myself. And so I was seeing this girl, and we finally kind of got over that, but I was seeking with all my heart. God, really, what is it? 
how do I get through this life? How do I do this Christian life? How do I come close to you? How do I forsake? How do I get rid of the sin in my life and really do what I say that I'm doing on Sunday morning? Put on this suit and this tie. It was that kind of church suit and tie. Perfect smile. Everybody's got their act together. How do I really have my act together? And I remember going to Lifeway Christian Bookstore and I bought this Bible. It says, Study Bible for Men. And since I was struggling with men's issues with sex, I thought, man, maybe that Bible will, uh, maybe that'll teach me something. Maybe that'll learn me something there. And it's got, uh, this Bible has devotionals in it. There's 365 devotionals. So one day a year, you get through all those devotionals. But it really didn't take very long. And I got rid of that girl. But then I had a, an immoral relationship with a girl in the church. Basically, for what I felt, I got kicked out of the church. And I said, forget it. I'm out of here. God, you don't come through for me. I mean, you answer everybody else's prayers, but I'm, I'm out of here. You Obviously, you, I don't know what the deal is. Maybe you've just overlooked me. You forgot about me. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to do, do what I want to do. I'm going to go do my own thing. And I stuffed this Bible in a drawer, and it sat in a drawer for several years. It's 2006 when I train wrecked my life, basically. I mean, it was a disaster. And I finally hit my knees in March of 2006, and I said, All right, God, whew, I don't know what I'm doing here but I'm in too deep, and I give you my life. Would you just take over my life? Anything that's left, anything that's worth anything, would you just take it, and you just do whatever you want to do with it? One of the first things I did was pull this Bible out of a drawer. It's a New Living Translation, so it was something that was easy to understand. I was able to read it, and it was like it came alive again, like I had never read this stuff before, and I grew up in church. I was a preacher's kid. Part of my prayer when I... Uh, when I hit my knees was, Lord, if you want me to preach, I'll even preach. And that was something I never wanted to do. I grew up as a preacher's kid. I knew that when, when my dad walked into a room, people changed their conversations. They changed the words that they used. They changed the liquids that they drank. It's like, I don't want to be that guy. But when I hit my knees, I was like, I'll even be that guy if that's what you want. So one of the first things that I needed to do was get plugged into a local church. And I didn't want to go back to that church that I, I felt that I got kicked out of. I just didn't feel like I had anything in common with them. Really wanted to find real people that I could identify with. And about that time, I got a postcard in the mail that said, come to our church. And of course, I get, I get a couple of these every week. And what do you do with them? You, you file them in the circular file. You throw it away. As I threw this postcard away, it landed in the trash, and the very edge of it was sticking out of the trash, and it said, Pellissippi State University. I thought, well, why do they have a university logo on their Come to My Church postcard? So I fished it out of the trash can, and sure enough, this was a, a church that didn't even have a building. They were meeting at the local university. And I thought, wow, a church that doesn't have a multi-million dollar facility, a million dollar stage, sound and lighting system, and doesn't have the perfect people in it, maybe, maybe they have real people in it. I ought to go check this place out. So I did. I went to Pellissippi State University on Sunday morning. About 25 or 30 people were meeting together in the student center, and uh, I found real people. And I was hurting, and I needed real people because my life was a mess. And so I just kept on going back. And that church continued to grow from 25 to 30 people. By the time I left that church when I had to move to Nashville, the church was over 200 people, and uh, they had moved out of the student center. They were meeting in the auditorium. And I remember being in the auditorium just about six months into this thing and um, uh, being fully surrendered to God. And I was sitting there in the auditorium. I got there early just so I could sit in the auditorium with the peace and the quiet and just, just pray and just prepare my heart for God to meet me during the church service. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and I, I would usually do a little bit of journaling. This is my, my current journal. I've filled up about seven or eight of these since 2006. And in it, I have all my personal thoughts. I write out some of my prayers. I write out my messages usually, and I preach from a journal. And, and uh, so I was doing some of that in that service, and it finally occurred to me. It just hit me as I'm sitting there in the stillness before the church even started what I was supposed to do with my life. And so I wrote it down, and it's in the, it's in the very 
front page of this Bible here. It says, my mission statement, to use my life experiences as an open book to inspire and encourage others to follow Jesus Christ. I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that somehow, some way, I was going to use my life. I was going to use all my failures. <laughs> I was going to use all my mistakes. I was going to use all my sin, all my embarrassing moments. Somehow, some way, I was going to use that to inspire and encourage others to follow Jesus Christ. And so over the years of doing ministry and actually being a preacher, a pit preacher on this series, anytime I've ever spoke, whether I've said it out loud or not, the whole point has been to inspire and encourage people to follow Jesus Christ. So over the years, I've, I've shared, laid myself bare sometimes. It feels like, like I struggle with lust and pornography looks really good and I struggle against looking at that. I've talked about alcoholism, how I struggle with alcoholism and, and issues with drinking. And I've tried to be open and bare and vulnerable and honest. And that brings us to today. The message I don't want to preach. Every time I have a message I don't want to preach, like, God, I don't really, they don't want to hear about my story again. And God always brings me back to this Bible that I don't even use anymore. To use my life as an open book to inspire and encourage others to follow Jesus Christ. So today is the message I haven't wanted to preach for seven years. It's the money message. And I don't want to speak about money because you guys are so good about supporting me and this mission and team faith. I'm like, God, they give. Man, every Sunday morning somebody takes a hat and they pass it around. The hat gets filled up and there's enough money there to cover all my expenses. People spend, send money here and there. A couple weeks ago at one of the races, um, I was preaching about unanswered prayers. And it just came out of me. I, don't, I didn't plan on saying I didn't even remember I said it. But I said something about, man, I got a tire that's about to blow on this bus. I don't even know which tire it is and how I'm going to get home. And it can't, I didn't even know I said it. An hour after, the, uh, after I said, all right, y'all, have a good race, somebody texted me that was sitting here and said, go, go, go put tires on your bus and send me the bill. You guys are awesome. And, and these tents and these, these uh, signs and flags, everything, have been provided because you guys and your generosity. So I'm like, God, I don't really want to talk about money because these guys are good with money. I really appreciate what they do. But God challenged me, brought me back to this. Use your own life. So, okay, well, here's my life story. Back to 2002, about the time that I put this Bible in a drawer and said, God, I don't know what's up with you, but I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to chase pretty girls because that's really what I want in my life. I want pretty girls. And I need to be financially independent. I want to be rich is the best way to put it. I want to be rich. Lots and lots of money, just like the song says. And so what I did, I mean, there was a guy on the radio at the time. His name was Dave Ramsey. He's the guy that talks about, get out of debt. Don't ever use a credit card. Credit cards are evil. Cut them up. Do away with them. I'm like, yeah, that guy's interesting to listen to, but he's a little out of touch with reality. I mean, come on, really? There's another guy that was on the scene that wrote a best-selling book back in the 90s called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. He's the guy, and actually Dave Ramsey endorses that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, says, read it. It'll change your mind about the way you think about money, but don't use debt. Robert Kiyosaki says, use OPM, other people's money. I'm like, I like the sound of that. So I got with a buddy. We bought a house that needed some renovation and some repair, and we fixed it up and we flipped it. It didn't go according to plan, but we each made a few thousand bucks. That was cool. Met an investor guy in Knoxville, which is where I was living at the time. The investor guy says, here's what you do. You buy a house and you rent it out, and you let tenants pay the bill, and you pull all the equity out of that, and your tenants will pay the bill for you. I was like, well, that sounds cool. So what I did was I found a house that was for sale for $52,000. 
the appraiser came along, and this is 2004, 2005 era, where you could not not make money in real estate, okay? Real estate was hot, and you could do it all wrong and make money somehow. Of course, that was very short-lived, we'll get to that. But in 2004, here's what you do. You just buy this house for $52,000. The appraiser says it's worth $80,000. You find a bank who will loan you 80% loan to value, $60,000, loans me $60,000. You buy it for fifty-two, dollars and you pocket the rest. Sweet. And then tenants are going to pay this for you. I mean, you're never going to have a vacancy. You're never going to have a toilet breakdown. You're never going to have somebody skip on the bill. You're never going to have anybody destroy your house. It'll be easy. Matter of fact, last, I just did this last week. I bought a new boat. Like, all right, sign me up. I did two houses that way. Two houses that way. I took the money. I had a wad of cash now. I became an entrepreneur. I mean, I watched Donald Trump and The Apprentice show at that time. It was coming on pretty strong. Anytime I watched that show, man, I knew everything. I knew how to win every single contest. I would have been Donald Trump's next apprentice, but I didn't need Donald Trump. I was going to go out there. I was going to get rich. I was going to do it my way. I knew what I was doing. So I took that pocket full of money, and I became an entrepreneur, and I started in 2005. I started a cell phone business. Now, today, when you need a cell phone, you got to go to a corporate store, Verizon, AT&T, or whatever, and that's where you get your cell phone and your cell phone accessories and your cell phone plans. But back then, about 10 years ago, a lot of independent shops were set up, and the, and the big guys, AT&T or whoever, would retail through an independent vendor. I became one of those guys. I found the perfect location. I built the perfect sign. I had the perfect business cards. name was Strategic Wireless Conquer Your World was my slogan. I mean, it was perfect. I had dual phone lines set up. Everything was perfect. New carpet, new paint, everything in there. Had all, of, all the hottest BlackBerry phones, had everything. Spent all my money getting this thing going. I'm going to be rich. This is just the first of many. <laughs> first month I'm open, I get a phone call from the police in Knoxville. It says, hey, do you own 229 Kanzler? I had to think about it. I was like, yeah, uh, yeah actually I do. The tenant in 229 Kanzler was a Section 8 tenant. It means that the government was paying the bill for her to be there. I don't think I even met this tenant, but I got a check every single month coming in. I didn't have to worry about a thing. She was taking beautiful care of the house. Money was coming in. Everything's great. The police call me. Do you own this house? Yeah, I do, actually. Like, well, have you been to it lately? No. Why would I do that, man? I'm getting rich. Well... That house is vacant, the utilities are all shut off, and it's being used as, as a uh, headquarters for drugs and prostitution. Oh, really? It's that kind of neighborhood. I go down there, and oh, it was so, it was so disgusting. It just makes me kind of turn my stomach right now to the things I found there. The other house, at the same time, couldn't get the tenant to pay the bill, had to do an eviction, and when I went into that house, it was a, it was a cockroach farm cockroaches everywhere had to get an exterminator both houses needed paint and carpet so i'm shelling out more money into these rental properties that well that's a little unusual we'll do better the next time i got this cell phone business going it's gonna make me rich it lost money the first month it lost money the second month it the third month it was only open nine months out of those nine months there was one month that it almost broke even and towards the end of that nine months it was march of 2006 and i was sunk because i had no money these, these rental houses were just sucking the money out of me. This, uh, this, this business where I'm going to be an entrepreneur is sucking the money out of me. And I didn't have any money. I'd spend it all. So I was going into debt, credit card, lines of credit, more credit cards, more lines of credit. $70,000 in debt. I was $10,000 behind on my rent for the, uh, for the cell phone store when I finally said enough's enough. I got I to gotta cut my losses. This is it. This is not working out. I don't know what the deal is. But everything I have touched not turned to gold. It's turned to lead. And I'm done. 
and I shut the cell phone store down. A couple weeks later, of course, I was dating this beautiful girl at the time, and she was pregnant. She was nine months pregnant when I, when I shut the cell phone store down. She and I were not getting along very good at all. Matter of fact, we probably should have broken up nine months earlier, but we found out she was pregnant, tried to stick it out. We weren't getting along. Failed relationship, failed business, failed rental properties, failed everything. And then the baby's born, and the weight of the world was on my shoulders. And I finally just broke, and I said, all right, God, you have your way with my life. And there was a peace that came over me that I can't even describe. And that's why I keep saying, go all in for Jesus. You won't regret it. Every time I ever speak, go all in. You won't regret it. First thing I did, I already told you, I got into a church. I said, all right, God, what's next? Here's the point of the whole message today, this whole money message. If you want to put God first in your life, you want to go all in for Jesus, you want to put God first in your life, put him first in your finances. Because that's what I did. I said, all right, God, what do I do? Well, you've got to get out of debt. I started listening to that crazy guy, Dave Ramsey. Get out of debt. Here's what you do. You make a list of all your bills, your smallest to your tallest, and you start paying them off in order, and you be dedicated to it. You be diligent to it. So I started doing that, and Dave Ramsey also said, and don't forget to tithe. You make that the first priority of every check that you get. I said, all right. I mean, I grew up in church. I know you're supposed to give 10%. There's not a New Testament law that says thou shalt give 10%, but it's a good principle. It's, it's endorsed in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, Malachi says, do this and see if I won't open the, the doors of heaven and pour out blessings on, on you. And uh, not that that's a steadfast, this is what's going to happen. I, I, I can't stand the prosperity gospel preachers that say, give your money to me and you'll get rich. Can't stand. Matter of fact, there's a, one of the reasons I don't want to do the money message is to say, give your money to, to God or give your money to Team Faith or to your church or whatever is because it's been so abused. Creflo Dollar is a, is a pastor of a, or a mega church down in Atlanta, Georgia, just last month announced that he needed to replace his private jet. His poor private jet was built in the 80s, and it was no longer reliable. So he needs to replace this private jet, not just with any jet, but with a Gulfstream G650, the latest and greatest of Gulfstreams, $65 million. There's a three-year waiting list to get a Gulfstream G650. Oprah Winfrey can't even get one, and he needs one. I'm like, God, it, money has been so abused by the church, I don't really want to talk about it. And God just says, well, share your story and be open and be vulnerable about where you are right now. So that's where we're headed. Started giving 10% of first of every check, started giving it to the church. Matter of fact, I split my, my 10% tithe. I split it between the church that I was going to and Team Faith. I had met Brian O., the guy that started Team Faith, met him back in 2001. And uh, I liked him. I loved the ministry of Team Faith. I liked the idea of taking the church to the racetrack on Arena Cross and Watercraft. And uh, so when I came back to, to God, hit my knees in full surrender, he was my first phone call. Brian, I'm all in. And I started giving 10 per, or 5% to Team Faith, 5% to the church. Did that faithfully every month. And of course, in 2009, as I'm working my way out of debt, I had started coming to GNCC. The doors opened for me to be the pit pastor on GNCC. I've been coming and doing these services since, uh, since March of 2009. March of 2010, I was working for Yamaha at the time, good corporate job making good money, but every money that I made was 10% to the church and then the rest of it to debt retirement. March of 2010, four years to the date, basically, of when I said, all right, God, I'm all in and I'll get out of debt. Four years later, I had paid off the last of my $70,000 of credit card and lines of credit debt. I had no debt except for my mortgage and those rental properties that I was trying desperately to sell. And, um, and I was free 
free indeed. I had moved to Nashville, which was next door to Team Faith. I was a part of that ministry, part of this ministry coming out here. And I got the phone call from Yamaha. It says, hey, we don't need you anymore. I was like, great. They laid me off. And I was like, great. Because it had been on my heart. I had been praying for a whole year of doing ministry here on GNCC. I knew that this was where I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be full-time ministry, not just with GNCC, but everything that Team Faith is involved in. Arena Cross, um, as soon as, and I had been praying about it, and God's like, are you sure? I was like, yes, Lord, if this is what you want for my life, then that's what I want to do. So in, in 2010, March 2010, March, April of 2010, I'm all in. I'm Team Faith. I instantly became the mechanic for the team, started uh, making plans to go around to all the arena cross races, doing GNCC, helping build up this, uh, this ministry, and, um, and I was debt-free. I was able to do it. I had an $800 a month rent payment, $800 a month in child support, and then, of course, I had to take on my own health care, fuel. Trevor lived six hours away from me, my son, and uh, yeah, every other weekend I was traveling to see him and burning the fuel, and so I wrote a letter, and I said, friends and family, the doors have opened for me to go full-time ministry. I need an income in order to do this. I'm very much like a, I'm like a missionary. I need your support. And I was able to raise about 50% of what I needed. Able to raise, friends and family pitched in on a monthly basis, and it came out to about 50% of what I needed. Team Faith at the same time had some increased uh, um, income, some more donations coming in. Team Faith was able to chip in $1,000 a month, and I was able to make it. It was kind of, it was really tight. It's been really tight for five years that I've been able to make it. There's been just enough to get by. And that kind of brings me to, to where I'm at almost today. I'll take you to 1 Kings chapter 17. It's a story about Elijah. You've heard me talk about Elijah before. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. This guy has the confidence that makes James Bond look shy. <laughs> this, this Elijah character, he comes to King Ahab, king of Israel, and he says, Hey, king, you're evil. Because you're evil, it's not going to rain until I give the word. Of course, God told him to say that. And that gives you all the confidence in the world to do what you know you ought to do. If God said do it, you got the confidence to go do it. Elijah says, King, you're wicked. No rain. And then he disappears. Three years later, King Ahab's looking to kill him because there's been no rain. I'm going to kill that Elijah when I find him. Elijah comes up and says, really? Here I am. Tell you what, let's go to the top of Mount Carmel and we'll settle this once and for all. You bring all your satanic cult members, I'll bring myself. We'll each make an altar. Whoever's God can bring fire to the altar, we'll make that the God of Israel. How's that sound? All right, everybody agrees, the king agrees, all the people agree. They go up to the top of Mount Carmel, all the cult members of Baal and Asherah, for all morning, all day, they dance around, they're praying to their God, nothing happens. Elijah says, "You stop it, stop it, you guys are killing me. Let me build my altar. Twelve stones, lays a calf on it, some wood, says pour it with water. Just get it nice and wet, nice and wet. All right, now God, I'm praying to you. Let it be known that you're the God of Israel, that I'm not doing this on my own accord, but that you told me to do it. Before he was even done praying, fire from heaven consumes the whole sacrifice. Not just the sacrifice, but the wood, the stones, the water, everything's gone. Everybody says, oh, wow, there is a God, and it's Elijah's God. We'll worship him. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll bow down before him. But before there was Mount Carmel, there was three years. And that's what it brings us to 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God whom I worship and serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years unless I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Kirith Brook, which is like a creek or in some parts of the country, a creek. Go to the Kirith Brook at a place east of where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded you to bring them you, your food. So Elijah did as the Lord had told him and camped beside the Kirith Brook. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. 
and he was taken care of. And God was meeting his needs and providing for him. Elijah had gone all in for God. I'll do what you told me to do. And God provided for him. And that's how I've been for the last five years. I feel like I've been by the Kirith Brook. There's been just enough to get by. The ravens brought Elijah bread for the day, not for the week, not for the month, not for his retirement, but just enough to get by. I've been very, very happy. I've been so blessed to be able to do this and to be your pastor and to, be, uh, to, to have my needs met and to be able to take care of my son. Recently, uh, about two years ago, Brandy, Trevor's mom, she moved to Chattanooga. I was living in Nashville at the time. She was living all the way over in North Carolina. It was like a five-hour drive each way to get go see my son. I did it faithfully every other weekend. She finally moved to Chattanooga, which is where her family's from. She said, I'm not moving from here until he's at least 18 years old. I'm like, awesome. Well, now I'm two and a half hours every, week, every other weekend. Two and a half hours to get him, two and a half hours back, two and a half hours to take him home on Sunday, and then back wearing myself out. Last year... Some things changed with Team Faith, and they weren't able to, to, uh, to pay me as much as they had been paying me. But I had, all of a sudden, I had some extra support coming in from people. I didn't even know that they were aware that I had a need, but all of a sudden, water from the brook just kept on flowing. And so I, it was at the same time that I just hit a point in my life where I was worn out from all the travel. I said, God, can I please move to Chattanooga and be part of my son's daily life? And the answer was yes. For the first, I've been praying about it for two years. The answer was yes, you can go to Chattanooga. I had this money coming in. The brook was flowing good. I had the confidence to go. I put in a, uh, an offer on a house, bought a house instead of renting. Bought a house for $50,000, and it needed rehab. I, I borrowed part of my loan was, was $20,000 to do the rehab. So my, my mortgage, my insurance, uh, uh, utilities and everything is just a little bit less than what I was paying in Nashville. I still don't have any debt. I've got a paid-for truck or paid-for Sprinter van that's got 400,000 miles on it, running strong. God's taking care of me. About January, about the time that I'm supposed to be closing on this house, all of a sudden, the income, the outside income that had been coming in to support me and cover for Team Faith dried up. Team Faith just this month said, hey, we're pretty much dried up too. We're not going to be able to support we're not going to be able to give you that $1,000 a month anymore from here on out. The next verse with Elijah. After a while, the brook dried up. There was no rainfall in the land. Kind of where I'm at today. And I'm not saying that because I'm saying, you guys need to give me any money. Despite what I've said, I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. In the words of Dave Ramsey, God doesn't need your money, but he needs you to be givers. As a Christian, our goal is to become Christ-like, to become like Christ who gave his life for us. He didn't give 10% of his income to us. He just gave his life for us. God needs us to be givers. So the point of today, if you want to put God first in your life, put him first in your finances. I've been doing that for years. I continue to do that. Even through ministry, even through tight times, I've continued to do that. And I'll, I'll always keep on doing that. But the brook has dried up. And I'm just letting you know that. That as your pastor, I'll be here. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what ministry is going to look like. Either the brook is going to run again, or the next chapter in Elijah's life was the brook dried up, and God said, go down to the village of Zarephath, find this widow. I've told her that you're coming. So Elijah goes on down to the village of Zarephath. He finds this widow. He says, hey, make me a meal. She knows he's coming. She doesn't know what's up, though. She doesn't know what the next step is. She just knows that God told her to help this guy. She says, I have enough flour and oil for one last meal. Elijah says, okay, well, make it for me. So she makes him one last meal for her, her son, and Elijah. And at the end of that meal, there's enough flour and oil for one more meal. And they lived that way until God sent the rain again. 
I don't know what's next in my life, what God's going to do, if, it's, if there's going to be through the help of people, that there's just enough for one last meal. Or maybe I need to go back into the workforce, get a job, do the 9-to-5 thing, and travel all night Friday, like you guys. I mean, maybe this is holding the ministry back. If people know, oh, he's full-time ministry, he probably rides all day during the week and doesn't do anything, just shows up here and does church. That's not what I do. <laughs> I never get to ride unless I'm at the racetrack. Busy all the time, the team faith. There's a lot that goes into running the ministry. And I'm also busy with camps. You see here the, the, that we're advertising the camp for uh, FCA in Indiana this summer. I usually do two or three summer camps while we're on our summer break. I speak at churches, speak at youth groups, speak at schools. And I have the ability to do that because that's my job. But if I need to get back in the workforce, I'm a hard worker. I can do that. I can drive all night Friday night to get here and be here Saturday morning and Sunday morning if that's what it takes. I'm letting you know that there's a need. And if God puts it on your heart and you go home and say, you know what, we really ought to put God first in our life, and part of that is put Him first in our finances, let's give 10% or whatever God puts on our heart, let's give, I encourage you to do that. Whether you give to Team Faith, whether you give to me, whether you give to your local church, the homeless shelter, whatever it is, God's going to take care of you. He's been taking care of me. He will take care of me. I don't need your money. That's not what this whole thing's about. I'm encouraging you, go all in for Jesus, put God first in your life, put Him first in your finances. And if God lays it on your heart to help this ministry, yeah, I'm easy to find. I love you guys. I want to see God prosper in your life. I want to see Him bless in your life. I want to see you become more like Christ. And I want to see this tiny little GNCC church affect the whole GNCC nation. That's what it's been about for seven years, and that's what it will continue to be about. Lord, thanks a lot for this morning. Just thank you again for this beautiful place to have a race. I pray that you go with us that you will draw us close to yourself. Challenge us. Challenge us where we're weak. Challenge us where we're rebellious, including myself. Challenge us to become more like Christ and give us the courage to step out there and live in faith as Elijah did. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great race.